Well, good morning, and Happy New Year. I'm glad you're here. Um, when I was in college, I went, I roomed with the same guy for three years. We went to high school together, and his sophomore year, I remember at the beginning of the year, dorm party, he picked out a young lady who was a freshman and thought he would like to get to know her, and in fact, he did, but she had a boyfriend at Texas Tech, so he pursued her all semester, and at the end of the semester, she pretty much decided, no, I'm, I'm sticking with my boyfriend. Well, he was bummed out. Sad, but the second semester, moved on. But she came back her sophomore year, our junior year, and she'd broken up with the said boyfriend and let it be known to my roommate that she was very interested. And that changed his schedule. It changed his life. We used to eat together. I never saw him. He was eating with her. Uh, We'd go to dinner, and a bunch of us would play hearts or spades after dinner. He didn't have time for that. Uh, he would be in after I'd gone to bed, and, and when he studied, he studied with her. That relationship, he ended up marrying her, and sadly ended up getting divorced from her, but that relationship at that point in his life, that, that perceived love, changed everything for him. Well, God uh, comes with a far purer love and a far more committed love to us, and the question is, how should we respond to that? We're going to talk about that today. So if you've got a Bible, if you'd open it to the book of Malachi. Now, Malachi is going to be the last book in the Old Testament. But if you turn there, Malachi 1, we're going to go through that chapter. We're going to wrestle with this question, how should we respond to God's love? We, we, we talked about, boy, when we get a, a human love, how, how that can change things. Well, how might that impact us? Um, as we start this, know that Malachi is a prophet. He is... Um, with Israel as they have returned from exile, uh, they, they defied God and God warned them, warned them. And in 586 B.C., they were destroyed by the Babylonians. But God said it will be 70 years in captivity and I will bring you back. There will be a new world power. It will be Persia. The king's name will be Cyrus. And he will issue a decree to allow you to come back. And that's what has happened. And so Malachi is God's mouthpiece to the people during this time. And here's how it starts. Verse 1 it says, The oracle of the word of the Lord to Israel through Malachi. It's a great picture of what God does or did in the Old Testament and has done through the New Testament. He is speaking his word through people. And in, in this case, it happens to be Malachi. His personality, who he is, God's message is coming through him. And this message is going to be a, a debate, a disagreement between God and the people. And, and we get wind of that right off the bat in verse 2. God says, I have loved you. He says, I have loved you, says the Lord. In other words, there was a time past, I chose to love you, and it, and it continues in effect today. But you, now this is the people, you say, how have you loved us? God says, I love you, and, and the people say, no, 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 I, I, don't, I don't think so. I don't, I, don't, I don't feel that. I don't know about that. And I, I think that response expresses disappointment on behalf of the people. They had come back from exile thinking maybe we would be the, the chosen people. Maybe we would see this glorious return. And, and it hasn't happened the way they wanted to. And they're disappointed. And they're saying to God, you say you love us. Explain that to me. I don't see it. So God says, okay, I will. And, and he goes to their lineage He says, I'm in the middle of verse 2. 
Was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord. Now, let me, let me stop there. Israel, when they went into covenant, what happened is Abraham, or God picked Abraham and said, I'm going to work through you. And then Abraham was married to Sarah, and, and they had a son, Isaac, who's the next generation. Isaac married Rebekah, and Rebekah had twin sons, Esau and Jacob. Esau was the older, which means he would be the one that would get the greater portion, the privilege. But God said, I'm going to reverse it. I'm going to choose to work through Jacob. It's my choice. And so that's what God's referring to here. You, you want proof of my love? Let me give it to you. Uh, was not Esau Jacob's brother, declares the Lord? Well, yeah, he was. Yet I have loved Jacob, but I have hated Esau. Now let me explain that for just a minute. When when he says hate, it's not an emotional aversion. It's not like, oh, I see you and I've got a repugnance to you. It's, it's a comparison. God said with Jacob, I'm going to show him my favor. And Jacob will do some really stupid things. And there will be some consequences of that. But I'm going to choose to work through him. And I'm going to show favor and work in spite of that. Now, Esau will do some stupid things too. Like sell his birthright. And marry a woman of the land instead of going back to the people originally, which Isaac did and, and Jacob did. He, he'll make some choices. And, and God said, I, I'm going to let him live those choices out. So here's what he said. Yet I have hated Esau, and I have made his mountains a desolation and appointed his inheritance for the jackals of the wilderness. If we read the book of Genesis, we see that Esau and his descendants, who are the Edomites, settled outside the land. And in fact, history has said that they were, they were inhabited, they were conquered, and they were assimilated, and, and their, their nation was destroyed. Verse 4, though Edom says, now those, those are the descendants of Esau, we have been beaten down, but we will return and build up the ruins. Thus says the Lord of hosts, they may build, but I will tear down, and men will call them the wicked territory, and the people toward whom the Lord is indignant forever. Edom says, yeah, yeah we, got, uh, we got invaded, but, but we're going to rebuild. And, and God says, yeah, they'll rebuild, but it won't last. Now, Israel was invaded, and they rebuilt, and God said, it will last. And it is going to continue, and it continues today. And depending on how you look at end times theology, in one way or another, God is going to work again especially and uniquely through Israel. And how that work's going to play out, that's, that's up for discussion. But what I want to point out today is if you look at a world map and you look for the country of Edom, ain't there. It's not there. You look for the country of Israel, it's there. Why? Because God made a decision a long time ago, His choice, His grace, I'm going to show favor to this people. I'm going to make myself known to this people. So, so you're asking me, remember the question is, the people of Israel said, how? How have you loved us? God said, look how things are playing out. Look how history is playing out. So verse 5 then says, your eyes will see this and you will say, ah, the Lord be magnifying beyond the border of Israel. Because beyond the border of Israel is where Edom settled. Edom's no more. You are a people today, Israel, because I 
chose you. So, you're asking, do you love me? There is one of the many evidences. Now, why, why do we look at this? Well, we're talking about living a legacy. And you say, well, isn't, Andy, isn't it leaving a legacy? No, we've chosen this word because if we're going to leave a legacy, we're going to have to live a legacy right now. And the people of Israel of this generation have an opportunity to do that. They are the ones who are coming back. Remember, Jerusalem got destroyed. The temple got destroyed by the Babylonians. You get to be a part of this. This generation, you get to be a part of it. And after Malachi speaks, there will be no prophetic word in Israel for 400 years. The next prophetic voice will be John the Baptist announcing the arrival of Jesus. You, if you choose to get on board with what God is doing, can can be part of a legacy, the the restructuring of Israel and and the setting the stage for Jesus and and the Israel that will be used again in the end times where God makes a final announcement who He is. But to this people, saying if you want to live a legacy, you have to be people whose heart is given to God. And, And we have this whole history, God took Israel out of Egypt, ten plagues, and part of the Red Sea, and conquered the, 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 the promised land. And, and, and God's saying, does that move the needle of your heart at all? Does that capture you at all? Or is that kind of, oh yeah, oh well. Well, I think that's application for us. Jesus came, I mean, we just celebrated his birth. But the plan when Jesus came from the get-go was for him to die and rise again for you and for me. Does that move the needle of your heart at all? Or is that kind of, oh well. If we're going to be people who live a legacy, we're going to have to be people who are captured by God, whose heart is given to him. And we will have three more messages from this, but we will start every message coming back to verse Chapter 1, verse 2, asking the question, does the love of God move your heart? Well, for these people, God doesn't think it doesn't. And he's going to show them why in verses 6 through 9. He says, a son honors his father and a servant his master. Then if I am a father, where is my honor? If I am a master, where is my respect, says the Lord of hosts to you? O priest who despise my name. Priest, you're the one that's supposed to be representing me to the people. You're offering the people's sacrifice to me, and, and you despise me. You, like, like a son ought to show respect or weight or value to a father and a servant to a master. Where's mine? I'm your father. I'm your master. No respect, no honor. Now, uh, they're not going to take this sitting down, uh, but and I'm at the end of verse 6, but you say, how? How have we despised your name? So God answers their question, verse 7. You're just presenting defiled food upon my altar, but you say, how? How have we defiled you? And that you say, the table of the Lord is to be despised. Again, look down on. The table of the Lord is the altar where the sacrifices are made. So here's God's case, verse 8. But when you present the blind for sacrifice, is it not evil? God said, specified in the Old Testament, when you give a sacrifice, don't give a blemished animal. Don't give second best. But you're presenting the blind. 
And when you present the lame and sick, is it not evil? And here's the question. Why not offer it to your governor? That lame animal you're putting on my altar, why not offer it to the governor, probably the Persian ruler? Why not offer it to him? I'll tell you why. Because you want to win favor with the governor. You don't want to bring him a crummy offering. So, so why, why, why are you offering that to me? That's what the Lord is asking. We just finished giving presents at Christmas, right? And how many of us think, golly, I hope when that, especially as somebody we like or want to impress, I hope that anything my gift was lame. I mean, we, we got what we could, especially for people we love, because we didn't want to give them a half-hearted gift. Well, that's what God's saying. You, 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 you wouldn't give it to the governor, but, but you'll give it to me. Would he be pleased with you? Uh, no. Or would he receive you kindly, said the Lord of hosts? No, that's a rhetorical question. But will you not entreat God's favor that he may be gracious to us? With such an offering of your heart, will he receive any of you kindly, says the Lord of hosts? No, rhetorical questions, no. Why are you offering this? We say, Andy, well, that's well and good for them. What's God doing? He's revealing their heart. It's not given to him. Remember, we're talking about living a legacy. Primarily, it's a question of the heart. Does God have our heart? And God's saying, I'm looking at what you're offering me. And no, no, I don't. I'm getting second best. I'm getting what's left over. What's that have to do with us? Well, here's what the New Testament says about us. Romans 12, verse 1. It says, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, here we go, to present your bodies, your beings, a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. We're a living sacrifice, not animals anymore. We're giving ourselves to God in a sacrificial way. And I heard a speaker a long time ago say, you know what the trouble with a living sacrifice is? Runs off the altar all the time. And so God looked at the the animals they were offering, said, your heart isn't there. I'd like to suggest three things we can look at to ask the question, is our heart with God? First one I want to ask is our use of time. When I was with Crew, Campus Crusade, we had our uh, international meeting uh, every other year out in Fort Collins, Colorado. So I think it was about 1989, 1991. George Barna was speaking. He does a lot of polling. And he said this, there's a day coming very soon in America where people's most valuable resource will not be their money, but it will be their time. We are way past that day. We are a people overscheduled and maxed and pushed. And so, time for many of us is our most precious resource. So the question for you and me is, as we're wondering where is our heart, what does God get of our time? Do you get our leftovers? If we can fit them in, that's what we do. We meet once a week. To worship God. That's what we're doing. We're giving ourselves to God. It's part of our, not, not all, but part of our sacrificing ourselves. Is that a burden? Too busy? Kind of a drag, have to do it. Or is that something you love to do? To come give yourselves to God. What does your use of time? We talk about reading the Bible. We got a reading plan, you got your own reading plan, great. I mean, we're talking 15 to 20 minutes a day, so that means you're going to have to cut back on FaceTime or Netflix or I, I don't know, 
I don't know, whatever you're going to have to cut back on. Is that a burden? Is that kind of a, oh man, kind of a drag, pastor, kind of guiltness? Honestly, what does our use of time say about does God have our heart? If we want to be people that live a legacy, does God have our heart? So the year was 1983. I went on a summer mission trip to Panama City, Florida. I met a young lady. Now, it's not Hope, and it was six years before I met Hope. So I, wanted, I just want to say that. So I'm, I'm okay. I'm okay. And I was kind of interested, and she was from out of state. And I wrote a letter, and I didn't get a response. And I wrote another letter, and I didn't get a response. I called her once. And I, I was talking to him. A guy who was discipling me, and I said, you know, I, I think she's probably pretty busy. And he said to me something that I didn't want to hear, but I needed to hear. He said, Andy, it takes about 20 minutes to write a letter. People make time to do the things they want to do. She thinks you're a great guy, but you haven't captured her heart. Same thing in our relationship with God. Does God get your time? Does he have your heart? Is, is it grudging? Boy, but, you know, I, I'm, be honest. You, you don't have to tell me, but be honest with God. If it is, be honest with him. I, you know, I, I'm not where I need to be. The giving of my time is hard. Second one, I've got time. I've got talent. You have abilities. You have gifts. What are you doing with those? How are you using them? Is it to, to further your reputation? To further your bank account? To further your popularity? Or are you thinking of ways that I can invest my talents, my abilities for God? That's a question that will help you see, does he have your heart? Does Jesus, what he did, is that moving the needle of your heart or not? Time, talent, and treasure. T, treasure, talking about money. We all have a certain amount of money. Most of us have limited resources. And that means we've got to say no to some things to say yes to other things. Are you investing your money in God's work? Oh, Andy, you're just trying to get money for the church. Really, if you feel guilty for the church, then don't. Don't invest. But find another place to invest in God's kingdom. Because it talks about priorities. Does God have our heart? I was a little boy. I loved baseball was my first love, and I was the, the catcher. And if you played baseball, you know the catcher gets a special glove, and, and each team would get a catcher's mitt. But I wanted my own catcher's mitt to practice with. And my dad had bought me a regular baseball glove, but... I wanted a catcher's mitt. And he said, well, I, you know, I, I bought you the baseball glove. You're going to have to buy the catcher's mitt. And back then, again, now this is 1968, okay? So it's about 30 bucks for a catcher's mitt. My allowance was 25 cents a week. And I'd get money for birthday and this and that. And I'd do a chore once around. My dad would slip me 50 cents or a dollar. You want the catcher's mitt? You're going to have to save for it. So every time when I got my 25 or 50 cents, I put in my little piggy bank that was in the shape of a baseball glove, by the way. But you know what that meant? I couldn't buy. When other kids went popping candy, I couldn't do that. I couldn't because I had to say no to that stuff because I really, really wanted a catcher's glove. And what my dad did is I got to about 15, 16 bucks. He said, I'll, I'll pitch in the other. He, he wanted me to save. He wanted me to learn to say no for something I value. Well, I, I think that's a lesson for us as money. We, if we're going to invest in God's kingdom, we're going to have to say no to some other things. Are you willing to do that? I mean, 
Does God have our heart? Evaluate it that three ways. Time, talent, and treasure. Here's what God says in verse 10 about half-hearted worship. Oh, that there were one among you who would shut the gates that you might not uselessly kindle fire on my altar. I'd rather you close the doors of the temple and nobody worship than bring this half-hearted worship. Shut the gates. I am not pleased with you, says the Lord of hosts, nor will I accept an offering from you. See, we're wrestling with this question, how? How should we respond to God's love? And here's what I'm saying. First and foremost, by offering ourselves to Him. Here's how we respond. Offering ourselves first and foremost to Him. We're given to Him. Fully. Full heart. This isn't a duty thing. This isn't I have to. Oh, the pastor's going to get Oh, my friend's going to get I'm asking to be honest. Is that where you are? Because if what I do with a sermon is guilt you, look, it ain't going to last. You're not going to, you're not going to, no. But it's an it's a evaluation. Where is my heart? Because we want to be people that live a legacy. If we're going to do that, God has to have our heart. And here's what verse 11 says. Uh, From the rising of the sun, even to its setting, my name will be great among the nations, and in every place incense is going to be offered to my name, and a grain offering that is pure, for my name will be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. God says, look, I am going to make my name great. Israel, you can be in this or not. My name will be great. And that looks forward to the Messiah coming and the the worship of Jesus going worldwide. It's not going to be contained in a nation anymore. It's going worldwide through the church. Israel, you can get on board or not, but it's happening. But if you want to live a legacy, you better get on board with what I'm doing. Look, we're going to live 60, 70, 80 years. Our kids will remember us. Grandkids, maybe. But then it's... No, it's, we're, we're done. We're gone. Do we want to live something that has gone beyond ourselves? Living a legacy. The question is, does God have our heart? And you know what? I would say that's true today. God is going to make his name great. Do you want in on it? Do you want to be a part of it? You can answer that question. God will go on with, with or without me or you. And you know, I would say the same thing to North Point. We've got people in Haiti right now. We're, we're talking about getting a car care ministry going. We're gonna, and, and, you know, that's all stuff God's going to use. We're talking about putting in our kids to raise up the next generation. We get to be a part of that legacy. It's motivated by a love for God. But God doesn't have to have us. He chooses to use us, and he's asking, do you want to get on board with what I'm Verse 12, then he goes back to the nation. He says, but you are profaning it in that you say the table of the Lord is defiled. We look down on it. We don't, we don't value it. We don't treasure it. And as for its fruit, its food is to be despised. What we offer doesn't matter. Check out verse 13. And you also say, my, how tiresome it is. This stuff, we've got to go to the altar. Yeah, it gets a little routine. It gets a little boring. Man, I hope, I hope church isn't like that for you. I hope when we talk about reading the Bible, or if you're serving, you're serving, or if you're giving, I don't know. Oh, God. That's how it's gotten for these people. It's gotten tiresome. God says, I see that, and I'm not pleased with that. And you disdainfully sniff at it, says the Lord of hosts, 
and you bring what is taken by robbery. Again, this is a repeat of verse 8, except now you're not, he adds something else. You, you take an animal that you've robbed, or, or what is lame or sick, so you bring the offering. Rhetorical question, should I receive that from your hand? So the Lord, the answer is no. I ain't interested in your second best. Then he has this to say in verse 14. But cursed be the swindler who has a male in his flock and vows it, but sacrifices a blemished animal. So you've got a, a perfect animal, but you're going to sacrifice a blemish. Cursed is that person. He's a swindler to the Lord. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. And you treat it as drivel. And, and God calls that person a swindler. Let me see if I can illustrate it this way. So I offer you this Bible, and, and I say, you know, this is, this is worth a lot of money. This is the Bible that Jonathan Edwards, who was a great preacher hundreds of years ago, or Charles Haddon Spurgeon used. And I'd, I'd, like, I'd like to, I'll give it to you at a discount, but it'll be, because it's a, an, an antique, it's, it's like going to be $2,500. And I give it to you, and you give me 2500 bucks, and you know what you find out? Pfft, it's Andy McFarland's Bible. It's only 20 years old. I've, just, I've swindled you, right? I promised you something, and it wasn't true. And God's saying to these people, you're swindlers because you're presenting yourself as people who are given to God, and you're not, and I see your heart. The question is, do we want to be people who live a legacy? If it is, if we are, we have to examine our heart. Where is our heart? And I talked about time, treasure, and talent. If that's your... If you end there, you've missed the point. The point is, use those things to evaluate, where am I? I had a guy, guy who was a Sunday school teacher in college. He said, you want me to tell you about people's priorities? I'll tell you. Let me see their checkbook and date book. This is before phones, where people kept their calendar and their phone. See how you're spending your time and your money. I'll see how you're doing. I know, sometimes this is a hard message, and it's challenging. But sometimes the truth is what we need. Um, we got married in June of 1994, and by July of 1994, Hope was saying to me, you know, Andy, I'm seeing the street signs about a block before you do. You might want to get your eyes checked out. And August came, and she said, you know, I, I don't mean to harm, but you know, I'm seeing the street signs maybe two blocks before you are. And you've got a birthday coming up in November, and you're going to have to have a vision test for your license. And I thought, ooh, ooh, maybe I'll go get that checked out. Well, sure enough, I went to see some doctor, and he said, yeah, 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 yeah. you're a little nearsighted. You're going to have to, uh, probably could probably use some glasses. So I got some glasses, and that was about September-ish. And then I went in November to have my vision test. Of course, I don't pull my glasses out. You know, you put your eyes in there, and can you read that line? Nope. Nope. The lady says, so, sir, uh, do you wear glasses? And I, so I go into my little spiel. You know, well, my wife, we just got married, and she said I wasn't seeing that. Sir, could you pull those glasses out? So I put those right on, and it cleared it right up. And I was restricted on my license. Have been ever since. November 94. You know, if I don't hear that message, I got to go see a doctor get an eye test, get glasses, and go back and do it. It, it, it. It's what I needed to hear. I realize this is somewhat challenging. 
But I don't want to get to the end of my life and think I've, I've wasted it. I, I haven't invested it wisely. If we're going to be people who live a legacy, we need to be people whose heart is given to God. So I'm asking you to eval- evaluate using your time, talent, and treasure. Where, where are you? Where does that say you are with God? And if you're not there, you know, pray, ask the Spirit. Say, I, it's telling me I'm not there. I don't want this to be the testimony of me. Would you do a work? I, I mean, we can't change our heart, but God can. We've got to give him promise. We've got to give him opportunity. God, would you do that? Would you do a work? I want to be a per- person that lives in legacy. My, my, my uh, indicators show I'm not doing it. Would you do that work for me? That our heart might be fully given to you. You heard me speak before. You know I, I went to school at Texas A&M, and uh, football was a big deal down there, and we didn't get lights till my senior year. So there were all, only day games. And if you've been in South Texas in August or September or October, it's really hot. And people from Lincoln say, it's, it's humid here. And I say, yeah, it is, but unless you live near an ocean, you do not understand what humidity is. And the deal at A&M was, because we were the 12th man somewhere back in the history, somebody had come on the field, we stood up for the whole game. And they put the students on the east side of the stadium, and that's significant because the sun would set in the west, and we'd get the full brunt of the sun as students. And people would be passing out, people would be sick, but nobody would sit down because we're the 12th man. The only, the only time you could sit down was when the other team's band came on the field. We could sit for that, but as soon as the IE band comes on, we've got to stand back up for the whole thing. And I mean, I need to take a nap after a game. You'd be sunburned, you'd be hot. So sophomore year, I had one of my friends had parents that come up and they were building a third deck in the stadium and seating was a little screwy and, and they, these parents had some friends who had tickets they weren't going to use and they were on the west side of the stadium, not in the student section, out, I tell you, out of the sun. So they offer them to all our friends. Who would like these tickets on the west side? Now, you're not going to be a part of the 12th band if you go over there. You're not going to be standing with the students. Now, most of my friends, you know, they'd grown up wanting to go to A&M, and their, their daddy and their granddaddy had gone to A&M, and they had been cheering for the Aggies since they were like four years old. And, and, but not me. I had moved when I was a junior, and I had a friend say, you want to go to A&M? So I put my dorm card in in June of my junior year, and I took my SAT and got accepted in July after my junior year. And I didn't think about college again until about May, and then it was kind of, man, I'd really rather go to Texas because Austin's a nicer place, but it kind of stuck, so I'm... So so all these people who are diehard Aggies, they're kind of like, no way. No way am I taking those tickets because I'm part of the 12th man. I'm going to stand. But not me. I said, I'll take them. I mean, they looked at me like, what kind of traitor are you? A traitor who doesn't want to be in the sun. And then I found out these seats, you could sit down, and there was a wall on the back of them. I took those tickets every game. They were offered as sophomores. Why? Why was I selling out? Why was I a bad ag? Why was I, they called us a two percenter. Why was I a two percenter? My heart wasn't there. My heart wasn't in. But there were people. They loved A&M, and like I said, their daddy and their granddaddy had gone, and their parents had got engaged at A&M, and they'd been going to games since they didn't know how long. No way. They, they were willing to lay it all out for the Aggies. They were all in. God's calling us in light of what he's done, to be all in. What is God, how does he want us to respond to his love? By first and foremost, giving ourselves to him.
Uh, in just a minute, we're going to go to a time of communion. So if you're a person leading a table, you can come up here. That would be great. Uh, we will celebrate communion. And then the worship team will come up and they will close us with a song entitled, I Surrender. And as you sing this song, I ask you to engage and just kind of, God, I surrender my heart. I surrender what I dream, what I'm passionate about, what I, would you, would you take me, my heart? And then would that show up in the way I use my time, my talent, and treasure? Would it be people surrendered, not, not outwardly, but inwardly to God? As we celebrate communion, we're celebrating this Jesus who died for us and, and who made a relationship possible. Um, we don't believe it becomes the literal body and blood of Jesus. It's, it's, it's figurative. It's a metaphor. But his body was broken and his blood was shed so we could have this relationship with God. You do not have to be a member of North Point. Just be a follower of Jesus. I'm going to pray. And then if you guys could go to these tables, the, the outside sections, the far tables. Uh, there's gluten-free wafers there if, if you want them. Uh, but as I pray, I ask you to examine your heart. Does God have our heart? Let me pray. So, Lord, we are grateful. We want to be people who live a legacy. And, and you've called us to examine our heart. What, what captures us? What, what, what holds us? Uh, most of us fall short in giving ourselves to you. I, we, I pray we'd be that kind of people. In Christ's name, amen.